shy. Uh, my name is Marco. I serve as the preaching and teaching pastor here. Man, thank you all so much for joining us and worshiping with us this morning. Um, if you have a Bible, I would like to invite you to Psalm 42. We're going to be looking at verses 5 through 11 this morning. Um, while you open or load your Bibles, I uh, just got a couple of things that I'd like to uh, elaborate on. Jonathan did a great job in, in sharing several of our announcements. Uh, but the first thing that I'd just like to elaborate on is uh, today we're going to be starting a new series throughout the Psalms. And if you're not used to feeling all of the feelings, uh, then this should be a fun series for you. I say that because as we begin to engage our emotions by engaging God through his word, uh, we value group life. And so one of the things that we have here at Storehouse are called uh, discipleship groups. Discipleship groups are smaller gatherings of about two to three people uh, where our discipleship with one another intensifies as we study God's word together, we confess sin to one another, and ultimately pray for one another. In addition to that, uh, this week on our website, we're going to be having uh, what we call our discipleship guides. Discipleship guides uh, walk you through a list of resources and questions that follow along with our sermon series. Uh, it's on our website. It's 100% free. Uh, our missional communities use this guide. Our discipleship groups use this guide. And certainly if you want to use it for personal study, you can. You're more than welcome to. That's the only thing I really just wanted to elaborate as we dive into our time. And so again, uh, if you're joining us online or you just got here, once again, we are in Psalm 42, and I'd love to just open up our time. Here we go. Rise ready? Okay, no one is, but hopefully the Spirit will convict you. Here we go. There are a couple of myths that float throughout the church concerning emotions. There are those who come to believe that as a Christian, you need to understand that emotions are unimportant, and the less emotive you are, the better e equipped you are to handle God's word and your circumstances. Then there are those who will say that Christianity is all about happiness, and if you're not happy or if you're not pursuing happiness, it is because you lack faith. Both are tragically wrong. In a nutshell, we can summarize and label these two myths as emotionalism or stoicism. That when it comes to emotionalism, this is when we allow our feelings to interpret our circumstances and thoughts about God. The danger here is that we lack depth in theological truths and clarity. Therefore, our faith can be governed by our feelings rather than both truth and experience. That's on one side. However, you can run into stoicism. Stoicism is when our faith is rooted deep in theological truths, but it is void of affection. It is one thing to memorize scripture, even another to define repentance, but it is quite different to actually walk in love and humility. It is another thing to actually repent before the Lord and 
to one another. Both emotionalism and stoicism are incomplete, immature, and dangerous for the Christian. For instance, when the circumstance isn't lending itself to happiness, it can suggest to the individual that they lack faith or that God has abandoned them or that God is not pleased in them. As a result, for many, this is the conclusion that they ultimately do draw and they go to great lengths to work toward happiness, leaving them spiritually exhausted. Some of you know what I'm talking about and you can even relate to that. It is almost as if in their pursuit of happiness, they negate the Lord altogether because they are busy at work trying to do things in an effort to earn God's favor so that they would feel like they don't lack faith and that God is actually pleased with them. But the truth is that God is pleased in the Christian through the work of Jesus for them. When we forget that or dismiss that or ignore that, oftentimes what we tend to do is get into the grind and do a lot of work concerning the pursuit of happiness and leaving the pursuit of Jesus altogether. On the other hand, you have the stoic, the one who loves to think, meditate is probably their favorite word, right? What are they to do? What are they to do when they begin to feel all the feelings? They are often crippled when it comes to knowing what to do when it comes to experiencing their emotions because they lack maturity in how to process their emotions or how to identify and examine their emotions and what kind of action or decision will it lead to as they experience their emotions. And so oftentimes, Stoics, when they begin to feel all the feelings, they will suppress those emotions because it means weakness and I must not be walking in the truth if I feel feelings, right? The beauty of the Psalms is that they squash both of these views or myths, right? In the Psalms, we are seeing the people of God approach God with brutal honesty and confidence. We see the people of God approach God in the midst of travesty. We see the people of God approach God who are experiencing joy and all of these things, brutal honesty and tragedy and uh, joy are all happening at the same time as we read through the Psalms. And in the Psalms, we find the people of God experiencing everything from God's silence to his comfort and forgiveness. See, the Psalms, if you don't know, were written over the course of several hundred years. So everything that we read is sometimes in real time. Here's what I mean. Oftentimes, when we read through the Psalms, maybe I'm the only one, but we tend to read through the Psalms as if the psalmist wrote that Psalm right then and there as they were experiencing whatever they were going through. 
But the truth is that some of the Psalms were in fact written that way. Man, they put the pen to the paper right as they began to experience their circumstance, their emotions, and their cry to the Lord. Other times we see them write their Psalm or write a Psalm after the fact after the events have passed, after they uh, have gone through their circumstance or experience and they are looking back at what God had done for them and in them as they engaged God in this scenario with their emotions. Other psalms are written over the course of years. We are seeing the psalmist work through, wrestle with, and process their emotion as they walk through or as they write one of the Psalms, the first one I think of is Psalm 119. Psalm 119 was written over the course of a long period of time. And so you could look at the psalmist going back, writing what they're thinking, writing what they're processing, and then leaving it, and then they come back to it. And again, sometimes I think when we read the Psalms, and I could be the only one, that we read the Psalms as if it's only real time. And that should encourage us that they're written over the span of time because, again, we're seeing the people of God engage God with honesty and tragedy and joy, and they're seeking the Lord, receiving comfort, sometimes not getting an answer. And I know that that's how many of us feel at times. John Calvin wrote this about the Psalms because the Psalms in and of themselves seem to have something for almost every occasion. And so this is what he wrote. I have been accustomed to call this book, I think not appropriately, an anatomy of all the parts of the soul. For there, for there is not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that is not here represented in a mirror, as in a mirror, excuse me. Here's what Calvin is saying. That the Psalms forces us to dive deep into the depths of our soul through God's word by engaging him himself. In addition to that, as we engage God through his word, particularly in the Psalms, what we're ultimately going to see is that there is a mirror placed there for us that we can actually relate to the psalmist, or that the psalmist can relate to us as we experience varying circumstances and varying emotions. Further, the psalms always point us uh, to the person of Jesus, not just because the psalms prophesy about the coming of the Messiah, but because the psalms themselves point to the person and work of Christ for sinners. The early church had a Latin phrase that read this way, or that read this, always a psalm in the mouth, always Christ in the heart. And so, today, as we begin a new series in the Psalms on emotions, uh, we are going to look at uh, a theological understanding of emotions. I want us to have a foundation as we engage our emotions over the next six weeks. Next week, I think we're going, I think the order is, and I could be wrong, the order is that we're going to address fear, then anger, then lament, then guilt, then shame and loneliness, finally. Everybody loves all of those. And so we're gonna engage those emotions, but before we do, today I'd like to establish a 
foundation or a theological understanding of emotions. And what I want you to understand is that emotions are good. Like the Stoics who might be listening online or might even be present in the back, right? Or that might be you. The Stoics hate that already. Emotions are good. They are biblical and they are important. And if I can summarize today and our series, our seven-week series, into one main idea, this is what it would be. Emotions are important because they communicate something about what who and how we worship. Say it one more time. Emotions are important because they communicate something about what, who, and how we worship. In our time this morning, I'd like to answer three questions. Now, before I walk through those three questions, let me just begin by saying I am not a counselor. I might walk through several things that might leave you with questions, and uh, if you'd like to have coffee, I'd love to answer those questions with you to the best of my ability, but in addition to that, that is also the point of community where we interact with some of these questions that we are drawn to or questions that we just have as we look and see at what God says to us through his word. So, All of that being said, here are the three questions. You don't have to write them down yet because they'll be up on the screen. Uh, I'll give you the questions. I'll read Psalm 42, and then we'll pray. The questions are, what do emotions do? Now, with these questions, they're going to be kind of simple, but I think it's important because you and I overcomplicate our emotions. So the first question is, what do emotions do? The second one is, How do we engage our emotions biblically? And then finally, how do we engage our emotions practically? So I hope this helps. I hope you find it encouraging. Uh, Again, we're in Psalm 42, beginning in verse 5. Here's what the psalmist writes. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon. From Mount Mizar, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let's pray. God, as we come before you uh, in worship, as we have come before you through through prayer and songs and now through the preached word, uh, Lord, we're going to be talking about emotions today. And so, uh, Holy Spirit, uh, I ask that you would uh, use our emotions to draw us to yourself. Uh, 
I pray that as we look at Psalm 42 and other passages of your word, that not only would you reveal yourself to us, but that you would remind us that emotions are good and necessary and biblical. But in addition to that, as we examine our emotions, uh, God, I pray that throughout our time, we would examine the condition of our heart. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would use your word uh, to, 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 to penetrate and discern uh, the intentions of our heart. I pray that we would not just be convicted, but that we would be comforted and compelled to turn to Jesus. And so, God, I'm thankful for my brothers and sisters who are here this morning. I'm thankful for those who are joining us online. And God, I pray that you would be glorified and that we would be sanctified in this time. God, I pray that those who know Jesus would come to know him better through the Psalms. And that those who don't know Jesus would come to know him this morning. And so, God, we come before you uh, open, willing, and ready to listen. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first question is, what do emotions do? Again, it's all on the notes. Uh, Again, if you're online, it feels weird saying this, but if you're online, you can see the notes on our website. Also, those of you who are here, our notes are on the website. Anyway, the first question is, what do emotions do? Well, I want to address two things that emotions do, and I think this is important uh, because I think we don't slow down enough to think about these, Uh, but nevertheless, here we go. Uh, The two things that emotions do, and these aren't the only things, but for the sake of our time here, the two things that emotions do is that they communicate and they expose, okay? Emotions communicate and they expose. When it comes to communicating, I want you to just sit back and think about a couple of things. Emotions communicate how you and I relate and connect with one another. Have you ever made a friend? I hope so, right? Uh, C.S. Lewis, when he talks about friendship, he goes on to say, making a friend is when you find yourself around someone and you walk up to them and say, you do that too? That's what it means to make a friend, right? And so when it comes to our relationships and our connections, or excuse me, our friendships, emotions help us to communicate how we connect with others and one another. It helps us to communicate how you and I are gonna spend time with one another in community and around others. But in addition to that, emotions help to communicate protection. You could uh, call this discernment, but you've been in those scenarios where you have been around people or with people and something feels like you need to guard yourself and maybe be a little bit protected. That doesn't mean you don't investigate or ask questions, uh, but sometimes your your emotions will communicate protection. Under this banner of communications, your emotions also communicate motivation. They communicate when you are inspired and you feel convinced and compelled to do something that your motivation leads you to demonstrate that motivation. That if you are passionate about something, how you get involved is a response to how you feel about it. It is a response to that motivation that you are feeling. 
in addition to that, right, our emotions help us or our emotions lead us to respond to our motivation even in areas that we might not necessarily be too passionate about. But when we experience things like, I don't know, anger. Have you ever shut the door really hard at home? I don't want to talk about this. Close the door. Or you get really angry. Maybe you're at work and you slam the drawers shut really fast at your desk. Something's frustrating you. Something's getting you angry and you just shut the drawers, right? Have you ever said, I just need to get away and you go maybe go for a run or you do some exercise? That's part of motivation. The emotions that you feel lead you to be motivated into doing something. And again, sometimes it might mean involvement because you're inspired. Sometimes it means that you are demonstrating uh, your emotion physically. And I'm using just anger as um, an example. It's something that we all experience. It's something that we all feel. Even if you say, oh, I got a long wick, you still experience it, right? Our emotions help to communicate how we connect, our motivations, but in addition to that, our emotions help to communicate our spiritual needs. Think about it. Emotions are something that God has designed us with. They are not as a result of uh, now being a Christian, right? They are a result of us being created in the image and likeness of God himself. And so our emotions help to communicate our needs. Here's what I mean by that. They reveal our connection to God. Our emotions are designed to actually draw us toward Jesus. So for the the one who belongs to Jesus, when you begin feeling all of the feelings, those emotions ought to draw you to the person and work of Jesus. You and I get in trouble when we allow our emotions to draw us away from the person and work of Jesus. And that segues into emotions exposing. You see, when you and I draw away or even toward the person and work of Jesus, our emotions expose and reflect what we value and what we worship. So if our emotions are meant or designed to draw us toward Jesus, and when we do, or in particular, when we don't, they are revealing what we value. They are revealing what we worship. I want you to think about two things. The first one is the story of the death of Lazarus. You guys know the death of Lazarus. Jesus comes and he weeps because his friend has died, right? Jesus felt the grief and the sadness, and so he mourns the loss of his friend. He feels all the sadness. Those feelings expose his heart. And what was it that was exposed? What was exposed at the death of Lazarus is the ugliness of sin and Jesus' hatred for sin even at the same time that he comforts his friends around him. As he feels these feelings, as he feels grief and sadness and loss, we see Jesus reveal his heart. He hates sin, and sin is ugly. 
Additionally, as we walk through Psalm 42, we see that the psalmist feels great anguish and grief and depression. And what we see is that they reveal their hearts as they are drawn toward God himself. However, that doesn't mean that the feelings of grief or anguish are over. As he experiences grief and sadness and as he turns to the Lord, we see his heart revealed in the psalm. Often, I think we become way too guarded with our emotions, and I know that's kind of a dangerous statement, but we become often too guarded with our emotions, and while that can be wise, I'm not saying it's not, and I'm not saying it's bad. While it can be wise, it's not so much, all right, here we go. It's not so much that our emotions are the problem, but the object of our affection, okay? It's not so much that our emotions are the problem, but the object of our affection. In their book, Untangling Emotions, they have really long last names, so I just listed their their last names. Groves and Smith, again, the book is called Untangling Emotions. This is what they write. Rather than selecting our emotions on a whim off a menu of ways to feel, God gave us emotions that are actually designed not to change unless what we love changes or what is happening to the thing we love changes. The bottom line is simple. Because emotions flow out of what we care about most, our emotions can't and shouldn't change apart from a change in what we care about. Here is what they are saying. You are going to experience all of the emotion. You're going to experience emotion. The question regarding the affection or the question regarding affection is, what is it that they are drawn to? Are they drawn uh, toward God or are they drawn away from God? If they are drawn away from God and we begin to talk about, for instance, idolatry, then we're going to continue to experience the emotions. But part of the reason you and I are constantly going up and down is because whatever it is that we're placing a value in apart from Jesus is always changing. That idol is constantly changing. And until that changes to the person and work of Jesus, we're always going to be going up and down with our emotions. Now, I'm not saying that that's necessarily bad because, again, you're going to continue to feel your emotions, period. The question is, what or who is the object of your affection? What or who is the object of your affection? Again, your feelings may not change. In fact, they're not. It's not like you came to know Jesus and now all of a sudden, like, you know how to feel sadness. Like, you knew how to feel that a long time ago. You know what I'm saying? It's not like because now you're 25, now you know what happiness is. You've you've experienced that. The question is the object of your affection. And unless that changes, we're always going to run into trouble. So what is the object of your affections? Again, uh, emotions communicate 
and they expose. They communicate how we connect with one another, they communicate our motivation, they communicate our need, but they also communicate what you and I value, right? So again, at times, emotions aren't really the problem. The problem is the object of our affection. Next question. How do we engage our emotions biblically? How do we engage our emotions biblically? I'm gonna give you two things. Well, better yet, I mean I am, but before we get there. The question is, one more time, how do we engage our emotions biblically? Here's what I want you to see. Engaging our emotions means to engage God himself. I want you to look at Psalm 42, the beginning of verse five. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Elsewhere, he goes on to say, By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock. That's important. We'll talk about that in a bit. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Here's what the psalmist is doing. The psalmist engages his emotions by engaging God himself. He turns to the character of God while experiencing anguish and grief. It's not like he has to suppress those things and then he can approach God. He approaches God as he is experiencing and feeling anguish and grief. In fact, he even writes about the character of God while at the same time experiencing grief and anguish. And so when we assess the question, how do we engage our emotions biblically, I would say two things, fellowship with God and fellowship with the people of God. We just finished walking through 1 John, and that seemed to be the biggest and loudest themes throughout that study. Fellowship with God and fellowship with the people of God. And the truth is, you and I often fail to do these well. Here's why I think you and I fail to do these well, particularly when it comes to fellowship with God, that is communion with God through reading his word and through uh, approaching him in confidence in prayer. Like, here's why I think we fail. Or maybe, again, this is just me. Maybe that's how I should approach this. Maybe it's just me. Part of the reason I fail to do these well or to do these regularly is because both of these require vulnerability. None of this is, we haven't even gotten to the practical stuff yet. We're just dealing with you, right? The reason I fail to do this well and regularly is because both require vulnerability. You see, when it comes to fellowship with God, when it comes to Bible reading and <clears throat> when it comes to confidence with God, that is, that is prayer, uh, let's just talk about that briefly. And when it comes to confidence before God, that means that nothing else outside of my time in the presence of the Lord matters. And because nothing else matters, I am exposed before God. And if I'm honest, I don't, I don't always like that right? I mean, it sounds really good when we read a Christian book, and it sounds really good when we, when we read through the Psalms, like, oh, it's good. It's really good. It's really good, King David. But then, like, we go on about our day. 
It requires vulnerability, not simply repetitive phrases, uh, but us understanding that we're actually coming into the presence of God. How do we come into the presence of God, or how do we know we're in the presence of God? Well, if we belong to Jesus, he has given us access to the Father through his life, death, and resurrection. Part of that vulnerability that you and I don't like is um, it's as old as the garden. What happened in Genesis 3, right? We sinned. We sinned. And what happened after we sinned? They realized that they were naked and they ran to hide themselves and cover themselves up, right? And God approaches who? Adam. He calls out to Adam. Adam. He's like, yeah. Adam, yeah, he comes out and he goes on to tell him what happened. And the first thing that Adam does is what? He blames God. The woman that you gave me ate the fruit and then she kind of made me eat it and all this happened. And now we're ashamed because uh, we were naked. And God says, who told you that? Right? They're covering up their stuff. They don't want to be vulnerable with God. When we look at chapter two, after God created man and woman in his image and likeness, he goes on to say that they were naked and unashamed. In the presence of God, you and I are made bare, and we don't like it. But that is the safest place for you and I to be in, particularly when it means engaging our emotions that we can lay bare and put everything on the table from our concerns to our complaints, from everything from our confusion to our convictions. In there, we can address our ruin as we are pointed to our redemption. Fellowship with God requires vulnerability and a lack of vulnerability in these two areas, fellowship with God and fellowship with the people of God, a lack of vulnerability can breed arrogance and self-righteousness. A lack of vulnerability in fellowship with God and fellowship with the people of God, it can breed arrogance and self-righteousness. And so what does that say about our worship? What does that say about our worship? What does that say about our spiritual health? See, one of the myths here, or an additional myth, is that engaging our emotions by engaging God means that our emotions will go away. I don't want to feel these things. Any of you ever seen Parks and Rec? In Parks and Rec, one of the characters, his name is Andy, Andy Dwyer, and he is in the office of uh, Chris Traeger, his boss. He's the city manager. And Chris Traeger gives Andy some bad news. And Andy is just wrecked by the bad news and he takes off his shirt uh, and he sits on the chair and Chris is very confused. He's not knowing what he's doing and Chris Traeger asks Andy, what are you doing? And he says, every time I feel bad things, I take my clothes off so that the bad feelings can wash away, right? Sometimes I think when it comes to us engaging our emotions, we'll say, okay, got it. I need to engage my emotions. I need to approach God in confidence. So make this go away. But the truth is, engaging our emotions by engaging God actually draws us to the person in character of God in an effort to find comfort 
conviction, clarity, at the same time that our circumstance doesn't change. The second thing I mentioned, fellowship with the people of God. Like we love community, which is why we talk about group life so much, which is why we hang out so much. Um, We love community because we believe that community is a conviction of the Christian. It's not just because, well, we're a church, and so we have these kinds of like areas and avenues of ministry. No, through conviction, we believe that this ought to be a conviction of the church. In addition to that, in community, when it comes to fellowship with others, we are inviting others to do a couple of things. It's not just to speak into us, because I think sometimes as Christians, when someone is feeling something, we just want to come in and get like address the problem. Well, the reason you're feeling this way is because of X, Y, and Z, and what you need to do is A, B, and C, and then the feelings will go away. So deuces, text me if you need anything, gonna go watch Parks and Rec, right? And sometimes that might be appropriate, but oftentimes in the context of engaging our emotions biblically, uh, when we invite others into what we are experiencing, sometimes it means that you who are being invited need to simply listen. Sometimes it means just listening. For the one who is sharing, your role too is listening. Because you might be engaging your emotions in an unhealthy way. And so when a brother or sister wants to help by helping you draw some clarity from God's word or speaking the gospel into you to find comfort, sometimes your role is listening. And I think we do that poorly. I think we do it poorly because we want to fix things. That if we lean with emotionalism, where it's like, well, you're feeling bad, what you need to do is have more faith, and then you'll feel happy again. Or if you're the stoic and someone comes to you and says, this is how I'm feeling, well, you want me to tell you why you're wrong? It's because you're sinful, right? It's because you're sinful and all fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 3 says that no one loves God, no one seeks God, no one wants God. So your problem is that you don't want God, sinner. It's like the worst. Both are terrible. Both are dangerous. Both are immature applications of the gospel. And so in an effort to engage our emotions biblically, we need to engage God himself. And that does come through Bible reading. It does come through our robust devotional life in scripture and prayer. Like these are disciplines that we develop so that as we experience our emotions, they draw us to the person and work of Christ. They draw us to be brutally honest in the midst of uh, tragedy. They draw us to, to complain, godly complaint. They draw us to lament. They draw us to lay ourselves bare while maybe not necessarily finding an answer. The psalmist doesn't necessarily find an answer in verse 42. Or excuse me, in Psalm 42. At the end, here's what he says. As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? 
So this individual has been removed from the people of God and he is unable to do the things that he had been doing among the people of God. And so now people are taunting him. When they ask, where is your God? The translation really is, why has your God abandoned you? And he closes by saying, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He is still engaging the character of God as he's experiencing anguish, as he experiences humiliation. He refers to God as his rock and he doesn't necessarily get an answer. So, how do we engage our emotions biblically? Fellowship with God and fellowship with the people of God. An immature approach to these or a lack of vulnerability in these will breed arrogance and self-righteousness. The last question. So if we've talked about how we engage our emotions biblically, let's get to the practice. Everybody's like, just tell me what to do. Well, how do we engage our emotions practically? Okay? How do we engage our emotions practically? I'm going to give you four things. Now, listen to me. These four things, it's not a checklist, bro. Okay? It's not a checklist. This is a useful guide. You're going to be going in and out of these, like, throughout your time. Okay? I'm not a counselor. So if you're like, number one didn't work, it's not my problem. I mean, it is, but you know what I mean. Anyway. How do we engage, and we're going to pull these from Psalm 42. Actually, I'm going to have my Bible open because I don't have the verses listed. Here we go. <clears throat> How do we engage our emotions practically? Here's, I'm going to give you the four, and then I'm going to elaborate on them as we look at Psalm 42. The first one is identify. Number two, examine. Number three, evaluate. And number four, action. Okay? Super easy. We got this. We can totally do this really well and honor the Lord, right? <laughs> when it comes to these four, some of you are like, yeah, I could totally identify, and then I want to go to action. That, that, that's why we, we jack a lot of things up, right? Uh, some of you like to skip some of them, right? Like, uh, as I was studying this, and by the way, these four practices uh, are, are pulled from the book uh, Untangling Emotions. I'm just drawing from Psalm 42 instead of the book. Anyway, uh, when I was studying these earlier, um, one of the things I was, I was looking at was, okay, yeah, I can identify, I can examine, I'm not going to evaluate, that's dumb, let's go to action, right? Like, I think I have the answers ready to go. That's, that's my problem. Anyway, here we go. The first one is identify. What does it mean when we talk about identify? Identify means that we are creating awareness because if we want to be effective in our practice, we need to know what we're feeling. We need to know what we're feeling. That doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be super descriptive and you have to know what the emotion is. It just means you start talking. I feel off. I feel sad. I feel something. Like, what is it? Identify what is going on. The psalmist does this. Uh, I want you to look at the beginning of verse 5. We're going to repeat some of these verses. In verse 5, he says, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you uh, in turmoil within me? So he's identifying that something is going on. In verse 6, he does something similar. And my God, uh, where is it? My soul is cast down within me. He's identifying how he's feeling. He's identifying the anguish and grief that he's experiencing. 
In verses nine and 10, he says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries, they taunt me. Well, they say to me all the day long, where is your God? He's identifying and creating awareness with what's going on around him, with what he's experiencing, with what he is feeling. It is important for us to identify what we are feeling. It's going to not only begin to draw us toward the Lord, but it's going to begin to help us respond biblically, respond properly. The second thing is examine. When it comes to examining, once you've identified how you're feeling, when it comes to examining, uh, here's some of the questions like, why are you feeling this way? Why are you feeling this way? At home, uh, when it comes to my wife and my son, I love asking why, and they hate it because I'm forcing them to kind of dig a little bit. I feel this way. Well, why do you feel this way? Right, like they start like digging their feet into the ground. Like, I want, I want to know why you are feeling this way. Or the same thing with me. As, as I begin to experience things, I tend to ask myself why. Now, here's the thing. For me, when it comes to examining, this is sometimes where uh, I, I just stay there. That's the other danger, I think, as we look at these, right? We can say, oh yeah, we're gonna identify, or excuse me, we're gonna engage our emotion with the Lord. We're gonna go ahead and do that. And at the same time, um, I kind of just wanna stay there. And so I become too stoic, where I'm like, why do I feel this way? And I get to the depths of something, but I don't actually ever do anything about it. Why that's dangerous for me is because in my examination of myself and my heart, I might draw a conclusion, and that conclusion might simply lead me to apathy. That's me. Right? Psalm 42, verse 4. So the question is, why are you feeling this way? In Psalm 42, verse 4, he says, These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. He is remembering what he used to be able to do and what he was involved in. So as he engages and approaches God in identifying how he's feeling, the question then becomes, why are you feeling this way, it's because he's been removed from the people of God. And so he's looking back at a time of joy that is actually bringing him anguish right now. He's, he's able to identify the why, or excuse me, examine the why. Number three, evaluate. This is going to be fun, Christian. Once we identify and once we begin to examine, we need to evaluate. What are we evaluating? What you and I are evaluating in this stage, I think this is the hardest one. When you and I are evaluating what we're feeling, essentially we're discerning and answering the question, is what I'm feeling good and godly or destructive and selfish? The problem is we always think it's good and godly if we think we're right. Right? Everybody's nodding yes because we've all been there. We identify, we evaluate, excuse me, examine, and then we evaluate. What we are evaluating is whether what we're experiencing is good and godly or destructive and selfish. 
This is an additional area or an example of what it means to invite people to speak into you as it pertains to this. Sometimes you really do need that other perspective in an effort to gain clarity so that you don't respond poorly or make a bad decision in how you respond in particular. This ought to uh, lead us to, again, once again, engage God in confidence by putting everything on the table. Because the tendency that you and I have is to believe that when we are right, everything is good and godly. And how do I know that? Is because when we start to preach or when we start to talk to ourselves or when we start to invite others, we'll say, yeah, but. Yeah, but this. That's when we're running into some danger. When we're unable to discern what is good and godly and destructive and selfish. Now, I want to caution you that when you invite others to speak into you, church, this does not mean gossip. And this is where we fail miserably. But check it. If what we have seen through Psalm 42 on a theology of emotions, if what we have seen proves right, when you and I are led to gossip, we're revealing our heart. And what is it that we really worship? Self-righteousness. Our own selves. We want to be God. All right? In evaluating, we are asking what is good and godly versus destructive and selfish. And finally, number four is action. Once again, drawing from untangling emotions by Groves and Smith, here's what they write about action. Because here's the thing. Action has numerous opportunities, right? There's no one size fits all, which is why I can't tell you this is how you need to respond. Everybody's going to have a different circumstance. So I can't tell you this is how you'd respond. But I want you to listen to what they say, and then we're going to go back to Psalm 42. They write, We want to let our evaluation of our emotions drive us to act in ways that will actually have an impact on the deep loves and treasures of our hearts. Remember, if the affection of our hearts is something apart from Jesus, how we respond, that will be revealed. Particularly if our motives are destructive and selfish. And so when it comes to action, once again, draw your attention to Psalm 42. In Psalm 42, verse 11, he writes, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. As he engaged God with his emotions, it led him to a place of worship at the same time that he was feeling those emotions. It didn't lead him to respond poorly. That doesn't mean that he got all of the answers but he engages the character of God, he identifies, he examines, he evaluates, and his action is worship. How do we know this? Because in Psalm 43, he gives us where he's at. Psalm 43 is almost, it's, it's a continuation of Psalm 42. So, pulling from Psalm 43, verse four, he says, then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. 
in the midst of anguish and grief and being pulled away from the people of God, he engages God with his emotions. He identifies, he examines, he evaluates, and the action that leads him uh, to follow through with everything that he's done is worship. That's the action that leads him, or that's the action that he follows through with. It is worship. And in Psalm 43, his circumstance has not changed. Sometimes the circumstance that we are in doesn't change, but our heart does. Our heart does as we engage God with our emotions. Psalm 42 pulls us toward Jesus because Jesus sympathizes with us. And through his life, death, and resurrection, we have access to the Father, which means we can come before him open and honest, which means we can come before him and wrestle with God's word. When we look at those practical applications, right, what was it, identify, examine, evaluate, action, you ought to be wrestling. Maybe you're not. At least, again, maybe it's just me. I'm wrestling with what God's word says as I'm trying to walk through those. Like, it's not like I've engaged God, good, cool, I got these four things that I need to do and it's fixed. I'm actually gonna be engaging the Lord or wrestling with him and his word throughout that. That's what the psalmist teaches. And as a result of that, because Jesus sympathizes, man, we can do that with the Father. Jesus felt his emotions and they led him to reveal his heart. His hatred of sin, it led him to comfort others. If our emotions reflect the commitment of our hearts, then may we allow our emotions to pull us toward Jesus. And so Christian, if you find yourself falling into, for example, emotionalism or stoicism, and you're not really sure what to do with your emotions, here's what I would start by saying. It's okay to feel the feelings. It is okay to feel the feelings. If you draw, for instance, toward emotionalism, let me encourage you. Let those emotions draw you to Jesus so that you would be reminded of the Father's delight in you through Jesus. What do you, what do you have to work for if Jesus has already paid for it? If you're the stoic, same thing. Allow your emotions to draw you to a deeper understanding of Jesus. And for both of you, Repent of arrogance. Stop ignoring the truth. Repent of self-righteousness. Trust in Jesus to help you engage your emotions biblically and practically for his glory and your good. And if you don't know Jesus, the feelings that you feel Man, that is God drawing you, beckoning you to himself. The hardship here is that apart from a new heart, you're always drawing it to something other than him. But Jesus says that he'll give you a new heart if you turn and trust in him and surrender to his lordship.
So church, here's what I close with. Emotions are important because they communicate something about who, what, and how we worship. Let's pray. All right. Um, let me catch my bearings. God, as we close our time, Lord, I'm, I'm just going to put it on the table. I, I tend to be uh, the stoic. Lord, if I'm honest, uh, man, my, my stoicism or me just meditating on, on, uh, on your word, Lord, if I'm honest, it, 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 uh, stoicism often leads me to, to apathy where I uh, either suppress my emotion or simply address it. Um, I address it in a way that is not good and it's not biblical. Lord, I know at the same time that I'm not the, the only one who wrestles with our emotion. Do we follow them? Do we think they're good? Are they necessary? And the truth is that our, our emotions are good because that's something that you've given us. Our emotions are a gift that you have given us that, that actually draws us closer to yourself. And so that's a great freedom that we have in Christ, that we can approach you, Father, bare and vulnerable. That we can approach one another to, to, receive, um, to receive a breath of fresh air through the gospel. Elsewhere in the Psalms, Lord, you, you tell us that when we speak the truth of your word to one another, it is like reviving our bones. So Lord, may we be discerning and sensitive. May we be loving and humble as we engage with one another. May we approach you um, courageously and with confidence and humility. God, as we just lay ourselves out before you, would you reveal the object of our affection, particularly if it is not Jesus. When we tend to think about our emotions, if our emotions reveal something about what we worship, God, would you reveal that to us this morning? God, would you be at work in us to be more like Jesus? Would you Make us to be more like Jesus where as we reveal our hearts, it's a revelation of comfort. It's a revelation of things like grief. God, would you be at work in us for your glory and our good? God, we're just, as we come before you in prayer, Lord, be at work in us through this response. Be at work in us. And as we transition to, to singing and as we transition to giving generously, may these be works. Uh, may these be uh, the work of the Spirit in us. And so we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.